And this is because among the people, generally, there are different people at different economic levels. And some have prospered and they can afford a more valuable sacrifice than someone else. So here, as we have seen in the past, different levels of sacrifice are listed. We will see that when we get there. Finally, if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, we have certain circumstances that will make a person impure. One circumstance you'll see is failing to tell something that you know in the context of a trial that is being held before a judge in Israel. In the same list is the circumstance of touching something or someone who is ceremonially unclean and thus partaking of impurity oneself and thus being barred from the worship of the Lord and the experience of his communion until that defilement has been dealt with. And so we've got a long list of different circumstances that might make a person impure, defiled in some way that they may not be aware of. Those are the five parts of the passage that we want to consider this morning. And one of the things that strikes you after reading these chapters is not simply the bloodiness of the sacrificial ritual. We've seen that quite a bit already. There would have been blood everywhere at the tabernacle. But what strikes us as we come to this portion of Leviticus is that principle that we have already heard repeatedly and will continue to hear that after atonement, there is forgiveness. And indeed, forgiveness only comes after atonement. Atonement, then forgiveness. Atonement, forgiveness. Sacrifice, forgiveness. Sacrifice, forgiveness. Over and over the principle that there can only be forgiveness, cleansing of guilt, purification from defilement, comes with sacrifice. That principle is reiterated again and again throughout Leviticus. It will, be con it will continue to be reiterated up to Leviticus chapter 16 and the discussion of the Day of Atonement. And it is driven home once again in a clear and forceful fashion here in Leviticus chapter 4 and 5. Now as we know, the sacrifices in Israel functioned very differently than the sacrifices that took place in pagan cultures. In pagan cultures, such as those that surrounded Israel, sacrifices were intended, in some way or another, to control the deities. To try to get these pagan gods to do what you want them to do. The sacrifices are intended to enlist the gods on your side. Whether this is to forgive sin, or to send fertility, or to save you from enemies, or provide victory as you are the aggressor, the sacrifices serve to control the deed. Yet they still defile the people of God, and so they need purification. 
often in our relationships with one another? Friends in high school or college, husbands to wives, wives to husbands. How often we do we excuse what we have done by saying, but I didn't mean it. The damage is still done, but I didn't mean it. Well, God has a whole class of sacrifices for the I didn't mean it of our lives. Because whether or not we meant to, those sins defile us as do any others. In marriages, how often those, but I didn't mean it, how often do those become serious sticking points in a relationship and bring about serious breaches that need to be healed even if I didn't mean it. And here's the Lord giving a whole class of sacrifices for inadvertent, unwitting sin, which reminds us that all sin defiles us. All sin needs cleansing. And by the way, listen to that language. It is not simply that we need forgiveness, we need cleansing. That's the language used here in this passage. We have been made impure by sin, and that sin needs to be cleansed. I wonder if you've ever thought about how the book of Hebrews speaks about the effect of Jesus shed blood. Come back with me to Hebrews, this time to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his blood, suffered outside the gate. So here's one of those aspects of these sacrifices that we're seeing in Leviticus 4 and 5. Just start back up in 11 and get the whole thing. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Again, Hebrews is the New Testament commentary on Leviticus. And it's telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of these cleansing sacrifices. And that Jesus so that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate, outside the camp. But understand why he did that, so that he might sanctify the people. Not just grant us forgiveness, not just accept us, but that we might be cleansed. That's what sanctification is. 
that we might be made godly and holy, that he might deal with our impurities, that he might sanctify his people. And notice as well here in this verse, as we just said, that this sacrifice for sin, just like what we saw in Leviticus, Jesus is taken outside the gate to die on our behalf. As the beast is slain and then discarded outside of the tent, outside of the tabernacle, to show the people of God what they deserved, apart from God's grace demonstrated in the sacrifice, Jesus bore what we deserve. Outside the city walls of Jerusalem, in that place of Roman uncleanness, he bore our sin. And so the author of Hebrews says, let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Let us identify with Jesus. Let us give ourselves over to him. But he's outside the camp. Outside this world. When we come to Christ in faith and repentance, we're coming to him outside the camp. That's where he is. And we are called then to bear his reproach. So there's the first thing. Even inadvertent, unwitting sin defiles us. And we need purification. And God shows us how seriously he takes sin by giving this class of sacrifices for the forgiveness of even unwitting sin. Second, notice this. The priest's sin has consequences for the people. Come back to Leviticus chapter 4, this time verse 3. If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And I read that, and I want to say... I didn't do anything. I had nothing to do with the priest's sin. But the priest sins and the people, we are told, become guilty. Why? What's going on? Well, we've got to remember how a priest functions within Israel. The priest is the representative of God's people to God. The priest is Israel boiled down to one person representing the nation before God. He is the agent that God has appointed to deal ritually with the defilement of Israel and to bring about purification. So the question is, if he is defiled, how will he serve that purpose for Israel? Think again of the New Testament commentary, Hebrews. And what it says about our Savior. Our Savior, unlike that Old Testament priest, was sinless 
and undefiled, he did not have to make a sacrifice for himself in order to represent us before God. The author of Hebrews brings that out specifically. He was, there was no need for him to offer himself over and over and over again for his own sin. He had no sin. But remember the principle. Why is Jesus a superior Savior? Because he doesn't need to offer a sacrifice of purification for himself. He's our representative. He is a perfect representative in his obedience and in his sacrifice. The priest's sin has consequences for the people because he is the people's representative. And if as the people's representative he himself sins, then we've got a problem. And the people are being represented in their sin by someone who is dealing with his own sin. We're tied together with the destiny of our priest. And that's why the book of Hebrews celebrates our great high priest, Jesus. There's a third thing that we learn here. And you see it when you get to both the passage beginning in verse 13 and that which begins in verse 27. And that is that the people's sin has consequences for the whole community. And so there's a whole class of sacrifice to be offered when the whole congregation commits sin. And again, there is this class of offering that is to be given if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing the things that the Lord has commanded not to be done. So verse 13, now if the whole congregation of Israel commits error, and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not be done, and they become guilty, then you do this. Verse 27, now if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and becomes guilty, then do this. You see the principle again. There are corporate consequences for the sin of everyone in Israel. You remember back to the story of Achan. In the days of Joshua, one man sins. One family sins. And there are consequences for the whole of Israel. The idea that it's just me and God, and I can live however I want, and the only one who will experience the consequences for that is me, is an entirely unbiblical understanding of sin. Old covenant and new covenant. We cannot just live our lives like we want to if we are a part of the people of God. Your sin affects me, and my sin affects you. So there's a whole class of sacrifices to be offered in this instance, because the sin of every member of Israel impacts every member of Israel, and that principle is carried to the New Testament. We are accountable to one another. 
and we are charged with caring enough for one another to confront one another when we see a brother or a sister slide into the bondage of sin. We need one another's commitment to holiness, and we are corporately accountable. Here's a fourth thing that we can see here. Back in verses 1 through 13 of Leviticus. I'm sorry, go forward. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. We find that touching an unclean thing makes you defiled and guilty. Remember the story in the New Testament that has this as part of its plot line. There's a man on the Jericho Road, and he's been beaten up, and he's been robbed. He's been left to lie in a ditch. And a priest comes by, and then a Levite comes by, and they see him, but they know that he is unclean. He has come into contact with unclean men. He is ritually unclean, bloody as he is, and perhaps even dead. They don't touch him. And I wonder if you ever understood this. There is a reason why they pass by him. And it is not necessarily because they're hard-hearted and don't care. It's because to go and try to help him would make them ceremonially unclean. They would not have been able to perform their ritual duties in Jerusalem had they done that. Now, of course, Jesus still castigates them. And he still makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. They didn't help him, those Israelites, because if they had, they would have been ceremonially unclean. And Jesus is saying, making a tremendously important statement here about our commitment to God, our moral commitment to God, he's saying that in that circumstance, the right thing would have been to become ceremonially unclean. The right thing would have been to take upon themselves that uncleanness in order to fulfill their higher moral obligation. Is this a ceremonial obligation or is this a moral obligation? And which is more important? Jesus says it's the moral obligation. Once again, we should slow down a little bit when we come to passages like that. Not be quite so quick to cast aspersions on those who walked by. They were dealing with a dilemma. They made the wrong choice. But it wasn't just because they were terrible guys. They failed. How often do we do? 
One last thing. When the common person sins unintentionally, and he becomes aware of the sin that he has committed, he is required first to confess and then to sacrifice. Confession and sacrifice. Sin must be confessed and cleansed before worship and communion with God can be enjoyed. And all of these things, all of these principles are being spelled out here in this passage to help us understand the basic realities of communion with God. All sin defiles. All sin. Every last bit of it needs to be dealt with. Come back with me again to Hebrews as we close. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, says this. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But he goes on to say, look down in verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. This, brothers and sisters, is why the Christian can have assurance. This is the reason why the Christian can have a con conscience that has a sense of cleansing from sin. This is why the Christian, in the midst of our worst sin, can go confidently to our great high priest Jesus and know that if we trust him, we shall be forgiven and purified, accepted and cleansed. Because when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us yeah. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not because of the blood of bulls and goats, yeah. but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. our Savior and Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise that we find not only there in Leviticus, but that promise which is opened up for us in the New Testament as well. Sin is forgiven. Sin is cleansed by blood, Father. And there is no other efficacious blood than the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from sin, which reconciles us to you, which gives us a future and a hope. Thank you, Father, for these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.